0: This is Cleantech Talk, Cleantechnica's podcast series interviewing cleantech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Pono Home. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community, do it for a living, make money? You can, check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com.
1: Hi, welcome back to Clean Tech Talk. I'm your host, Michael Bernard. My guest today is Zachary Shahan. Wait, what's up with that? He's a host of Clean Tech Talk. So one of the things Zach and I do every few months is talk US politics. And, and sometimes we refer to those other parts of the world which are not as narcissistically central to everybody in the United States uh, way of thinking as a compare and contrast to provide insight about the United States, of course. Um, but right now we're at an interesting time. The national conventions are just around the corner. Welcome, Zach.
0: Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's funny cuz we both do we both co- we're, we're both hosts of Clean Tech Talk uh podcasts uh on Clean Tech Matters and then we get together and we talk politics. <laughs> it's like it's not really a not really the general theme or focus of Clean Tech Talk, but of course politics is ex- extremely important. Poli- policy is extremely important for clean tech. Politics is just a big uh show and game. But um yeah, so we, you know, we're obviously very curious and con- maybe concerned about what uh, what will happen in the U.S. this year with the, the general election.
1: Well, yeah, and it, it is interesting when I, I publish regularly on Clean Technica about U.S. politics and Canadian politics, specifically related to climate policies and climate campaigns, because that becomes significant. Um, you know, as we start thinking about. How the United States progresses over the next 24 months, we think about the Paris Accord. We think about the Kigali Amendment, which are you know foreign policy goals for the Democratic Party and foreign you know foreign policy third rails for the Republicans right now. Um, you know one of the things we'll talk about is what the heck the Republicans are going to do when I publish in Clean Technica. You know remarkably. I, I keep seeing comments. Why are we talking about politics? What do they have to do with clean tech? Yeah, but it's yeah, the, the relationship between politics, clean technology, climate, and things like that is something people really don't like talking about in many cases.
0: Yeah. That's funny that, you know, this is something that, you know, of course we get from time to time we've actually got you know, sometimes people are like, you know, I don't like that you're getting into politics and I'm like, uh, we've been covering politics for over ten years. Like this has been since the beginning of Clean Technica, a, a, a top topic that we cover because it's so important for clean tech. Especially, you know, before it was even more important. So we covered it, I think, even more uh, when policy was getting it off, the, getting clean tech off the ground more. Uh, but it's you know it's critical, and I think there, are, I, I really think there are basically two core groups that give pushback on that kind of thing. Uh, one is just people who. Are uncomfortable with politics. They don't want to be involved in politics at all. It's a it's a dirty word to them. They think it's something for other people, not for them. Um, that for me, that that group is is a little bit um, uh, it's a little depressing because you know a, a democratic society and even a, even free market capitalism is is very you know you have to have people who are engaged and informed and when so many people decide they don't want to have anything to do with the conversation, you end up with uh, just too small, a a portion of the public engaged in, in policy matters. So it's very, uh, it's a, it's a bad sign. So it's a kind of disease for a democratic, democratic system. um, And even for free market capitalism, if you want to be frank about it. Uh, And then secondly, you know, I think there really are, a lot of paid campaigns, a lot of, you know, whether it's from Russia or from corporations or what, that um, just there's a lot of fake people on the Internet these days. Uh, it's something I'm going to get into in a different article about how Twitter is totally dominated in, in time, at times by by fake people, um, which I've seen in some interesting cases. But I'm not going to go into it now. We'll go back to it. But, but one thing that was really fascinating to me you know, you, you notice this, and you know it's happening. But when when all those big Twitter accounts got locked down because of the hacking, uh, Elon Musk, uh, Obama, Bill Gates, um, all of a sudden we were swarmed with clearly fake troll accounts on Twitter commenting on our tweets, and it was like, whoa, where did this you know huge group of clearly strange tweet, tweeters come come from? And it sort of hit me like, hey, all these big accounts are shut down. They have nothing to do. They have to find other somewhat notable accounts talking about their subject matter so they control. And it just makes you realize how much they influence the conversation and how much they influence the conversation uh, of big players. And it's just very, um, it's a it's a big issue. So I think you get both people who just are scared of politics and, and fake fake. You know, commenters pushing uh, back on Zach, that kind of
1: thing. Uh, are you being politically correct? Because there is that third category. What third, is that? The third category are people who like clean technology and are Republicans.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, there's also that group. There are some – there are genuine ones. We have a writer who almost stopped reading clean Technic at once because uh, he's more um, right-wing.
1: It, well, it, it's interesting because <sighs> – It's become such a partisan thing in the United States, especially, Um, you know, still still so. And one of the things I'll talk about is what, you know, some of the um, political analyses show compared to the United States on this subject, but clean technology is, should not be partisan, but it has become partisan. And so, you know, as we talk about policy that favors clean technology, uh, unfortunately in the United States right now, many Republicans find that distasteful, which is unfortunate, but, I want to talk to you about one thing. You were talking about the people who just feel uncomfortable with politics. Uh, you know, I, my analysis says that in 2016, that was part of it. There are people who just said, "Ah, oh, yeah, Clinton's got it. I'm not really, you know, I did kind of dislike her. I don't like Trump, but how bad can it be? And I'm just not going to go out and vote. So perhaps, you know, five to 10 million uh, potential Democratic voters just stayed home. But Clinton still won the popular vote by almost 3 million. So fast forward two years to 2018, the midterms, um, Democratic candidates got almost 10 million more of the popular vote. And of course, the Democratic Party took the House. But there was something I came across recently, which was fascinating to me. I don't know if you're aware of this, Zach. The 2018 midterms had the highest voter participation of any midterms since 1914.
0: Yeah, I remember something like that when after the right at the time that they were ending. Yeah,
1: So w- w- what I think we're seeing right now is a very energized um, set of people who, you know, there, there were people, certainly the Republicans, Voters Against Trump YouTube channel. I don't know if you've dipped into that, but it's fascinating. There are a lot of people who gave Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt in 2016. And they kind of voted for him saying, you know, you know what, what could go wrong? How bad could it be? And now in 2020, they have an answer. And so they are many cases motivated not to give him a chance because they know exactly what they're getting. And they're also motivated to vote against him. Um, and all the people who stayed home are motivated, you know, and because they weren't energized by Clinton are now motivated by, oh, my God, I made a mistake. Let's get out and vote. So I, I'm I'm seeing a very substantial increase in voter turnout that will equal the typical that will at least start to rival the typically motivated Republican base. Um, Republican base, you know, the statistics show that they trend older, and you know they they have a greater sense of specific value of voting. They're a more motivated base, so they get out to vote more. But I think the Democratic base is going to be very motivated to to vote. Uh, have you seen any analysis on that, Zach? Uh,
0: you know, I'm I'm actually mostly here to listen to you you today because I have not been following as closely as I as I was for a long time. Um, just been busy with clean tech stuff. But uh, I I mean I think generally, <laughs> I mean we're it's just been such a total garbage fire. Like I I think I think there you know you of course you get the very strongly politically involved people on both sides, and then you get a- mi- big middle in the u s that is really not interested in dealing with politics um, you know about half the country votes even in the presidential election uh, just i think it was fifty two percent last last uh, general election so even <laughs> So there's about half the country which is so uninvolved they don't vote, and then even the half that vote many of them are are not that involved and you know are you know there's a lot of swing voters who i mean if you're a swing voter it's like basically it's you know there's not you're you're typically not that involved i mean i mean otherwise you would tip typically tend to fall into one side more or less uh so you have you know, a very big portion of the country is apathetic to politics. And I think, like you said, people are like, oh, well, what's the worst could happen? And I think that the the alarmists, you know, have it's been more alarming than the alarmists expected. It's like, you know, it's like for many of us, we thought it was going to be horrible and it's been worse. And um, I don't think I think many people who, who follow closely just had no idea this guy could uh, dismantle the fundamentals of our democratic system. So, so, uh, so obscenely. And um, I think, you know, in different ways that has woken up a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are disgusted. I mean, they're just upset with the, with the, with the mood of the the political climate, the culture of the country. I mean, even if they don't even think about policy, it's just the, you know, the, the nonstop hate and fighting um, has been just too much. So I think there's a lot of people who would love just some peace and quiet with Biden and um, back to some form of normality. So I do think that'll pull out a lot of people. Um, there there was the, I don't know if you want to go into this topic, but there was the joke, not a joke, that um, Trump uh, energized yet another portion of the population by deciding to, to, kick, to ban TikTok. Uh, so you've got all these, teenagers coming of, you know, coming of age, turning turn 18, eligible to vote, who are all of a sudden maybe going to be pissed off that he's shut down their favorite platform. So, you know, I don't know if you want to go into that. I don't, I don't know how much there is to that, but that's the kind of joke, not a joke about that whole story is that he's just going to get a lot of people who typically don't get out to vote to, to go vote because they're pissed off that he shut down TikTok.
1: Well, TikTok's interesting because you know about the K-pop band BTC and what they did with the Tulsa rally?
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, sum- summarize th- it though. Oh sure.
1: Um, so BTC, for those who haven't listened, are a K-pop band, which means they're a manufactured boy band. And there's the rapper, and there's the this, and there's the that, and you know, there's the crooner, there's the, you know, um, they're they're all different singing styles, but they're a manufactured boy band,
0: um, and, and they're actually and they, really good, and, and they're incredibly. And they absolutely. And they absolutely dominate Twitter hashtags. Like <laughs> at yes. certain times of day, it's like you cannot escape them because they just dominate the hashtags and take over with. And you're like, I don't want to see this dancing anymore, <laughs> but it's like all you can see. Um, and
1: they dominate TikTok as well. And so they got they, they started a little fun campaign um, because they're very engaged in social media. Um, each of them, you know. Uh, Who knows if it's them or if it's, you know, a, a team for each of them, probably the latter. But they're very engaged in social media. And they got this little campaign going to get all their fans on TikTok to apply for tickets to the Tulsa rally, which were free. All you had to do was sign up. And so that's why there was the inflated number of a million people desiring to go to the rally. That's why everybody was expecting a full house and why when it turned out to be a third of a full house, it was so deeply embarrassing, even more deeply embarrassing, and why Trump fired his campaign manager, most likely. You know, Trump doesn't
0: do humiliation
1: particularly well. And so we have a Korean he, he, boy he band.
0: Very exci- he was very excited about that. He tweeted about there being a million people. I know. The, the, so he was very excited to go there. They, they were planning an outdoor event they didn't do because ended up there was no one there.
1: They were expecting a minimum of 100,000 in-person attendees. No, 60,000, sorry. 20,000 indoors and 40,000 outdoors. That's what they'd set up to accommodate. They got 6,000 in total. (laughs) And he's still saying it was (laughs) 12,000. So fascinating stuff. But yes, a Korean boy band used a Chinese social media platform to prank Donald Trump. We live in a deeply weird and interconnected world, and you know I've been kind of digging through, and <clears throat> you know TikTok is being challenged, and it's fascinating to me. Um, let, let's pull a couple of threads here. So, first off, everybody was worried about its security, and but we're recording this on Zoom, and everybody at the beginning of the pandemic suddenly realized how flaky Zoom was, and there are still many organizations that don't permit Zoom to tunnel through their firewalls because they're concerned about the security. Um, Zoom fixed their security with some security theater and a bunch of fixes. TikTok, the main security concerns about TikTok were last year. October, November, December saw a series of stories where the U.S. Army and the National Security Agency and other agencies were assessing TikTok security. And TikTok did a bunch of stuff to fix its basic security flaws, but it's still a Chinese-owned firm. And Chinese-owned firms have a long history of providing data to the Chinese government because the Chinese government is often half ownership or something of them. Um, I sold a lot of stuff into China um, when I was based out of Singapore. And it was always fascinating to see how our corporate structure, the major technology firm I was, engaged with a firewall between us and the Chinese firms that we fronted were fronting us, so they primed, and we came in to provide support to them, because otherwise, we just couldn't get um, around our own security and privacy concerns. So there are valid concerns at the top levels of the federal government in the United States, um, and some of them, you know, some agencies which are non-politicized, about TikTok security and Chinese um, espionage, which is interesting to me from a variety of perspectives. One of which is that. The users are 13-year-olds.
0: <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, the, the joke that you imagine is you can see the TikTok executives going to the Chinese leaderships like, what have you found out? Uh, well, they like to do strange dances. Um, it's hard to uh, figure out what they're actually doing.
1: <laughs> and it's on 13-year-olds' devices. Yeah, It's not on, you know, generals' devices. So it's interesting to me in that regard. So that's thing one. Thing two, um obviously it's become heavily politicized. When you know Cotton starts talking about TikTok, you know that the far right is off the charts about TikTok. Most of them have never seen it, have no idea about it, they don't understand the TikTok dance craze. They saw a headline about it and Breitbart's probably writing about it for all I know. But when Cotton is saying he's concerned about the risks. You just know that it's become a deeply partisan subject. So that's kind of thread two. The third thread that's really interesting. Um, what is TikTok? It, would that be media, a form of the press? Uh, Zach, do you remember what the First Amendment says about the federal government enacting laws that restrict freedom of expression?
0: Oh yeah, totally cool, totally fine.
1: Yeah. So this is we're, fascinating to me. First, kingdom. It's right now, a media platform is being shut down by the federal government of the United States, which seems to be a First Amendment violation to my non-constitutional scholars' mind. And yet I continually see all of these other non-constitutional scholars on the Internet complaining about censorship because Twitter and Facebook are actually... Exercising their platform standards for, um, for speech yeah. to block certain classes of things, like for example, Donald Trump spreading massively unhealthy disinformation about COVID nineteen and children.
0: Did you did you see yesterday or the day before? Um, reportedly, uh, Twitter shut down his like Facebook. Uh, Facebook shut, down, his, shut, Facebook down, his
1: for shut down. Yeah, Facebook shut down his and his campaigns. Facebook accounts Twitter did as well but that's less unlikely Facebook doing it is remarkable um, and all they did was suspend them until the um, until the um, uh, accounts deleted the specific thing Trump had done now let, let's pull the threads on this one because it's interesting it's a part of what's going on in the United States right now so Trump did an interview and on Fox News he called in and during that he basically said children are immune from the coronavirus, which is deeply false. Um, And, you know, so opening schools was fine because the kids wouldn't get it, which is nonsense. And it's dangerous nonsense, and it's dangerous to Americans. It's dangerous to American children, and it's dangerous to the rest of the world. So Fox News didn't fact-check this, Mm -hmm. didn't push back, and they... They they had this out there in the airways. Now, at this point, Fox News um, is obviously spreading dangerous disinformation and should, you know, reasonably be uh, found that considered to be reprehensible. Twitter and Facebook, on the other hand, when the Trump uh, campaign and Donald Trump released, uh, you know, just sent out the clip of the Fox News ad. They said, well, this is actually against our standards of service because it's dangerous disinformation about COVID-19, which could damage children, Um, and pulled the plug on those. But Fox News didn't. So Fox News is enabling Donald Trump to spread dangerous COVID-19 disinformation without any challenge at all. And yet these other media outlets are actually stepping up to the plate and saying, no, we've got to protect our kids kind of weird
0: yeah but but we're very we're struggling a lot societally with this um this idea of what social media is uh obviously it's in the name media uh but uh it seems like a lot of people don't want to um accept that they are media platforms that um have control over content you know to some degree through algorithms through um certain policies and that they should be treated more like media platforms than they have been historically. And then you, you you also have you know a lot of overlap people who think it's just the public space, like Facebook and Twitter are just the public sphere, and people can, and you can say whatever you want there. Uh, yeah, of course, what you can't even do in public. But uh, anyway, um, and that it's all just you know it should just be their free right to do whatever they want and say whatever they want. Um, and then, if Twitter or Facebook, private companies, <laughs> censor, you know, decide this is not allowed, whatever, they they start uh, getting upset about constitutional rights and whatnot. And you're like, this is a private company, private you know, the platform they control. Like you have, there is, you know, the, they are allowed to. To censor whatever they think is, you know, they could censor uh, anyone talking about solar energy if they wanted. I mean, they could do whatever they want. They're, this is a, you know, it's their platform. Uh, so you have this big problem of people not being able to understand that they are media companies um, in a sense, uh, and that they um, are not the public space. <laughs> and and you, you, you have this problem in general on the internet. You know, we have for ages. You know, writers think anything you pull from the internet is free because it's um it's um it's the internet. It's just you know, you, you you can get anything from there and use it however you want. And you're like, no, no, no. You know, like this is like this is just uh not how it works. You know, you still have to respect um all these different laws and and, and uh and whatnot. We'll, so we'll, it's, let's I play think we have a I think we're struggling as a society to understand what the internet is, what social media is.
1: Well, the United States is struggling right now with its first amendment. Now we laughed on one of the previous things. Cause I mentioned that I'd been, you know, a member of a well-regulated militia up here in a country, which is not the United States. And you thought, Oh my God, we're going to get," you know, quotes, about it. nobody mentioned it, but we and I thought it was funny. Um, but today I'm going to lean into the first amendment. Um, I'm actually going to quote the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for re- a redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment. Um, so right now we're talking about TikTok, and TikTok is a freedom of the press, it's a platform. And it's could you
0: could you just explain uh, who is the owner and what's the what's the management structure? I mean, I, I don't know this stuff.
1: TikTok, it's just it's just a privately owned firm, and the people who sign on are are using free uh, have freedom of speech on that platform, up to the standards of the United States. So let's talk about freedom of speech a little bit because I've poked at that one. People claim, well, the United States has freedom of speech and Canada doesn't it's really interesting because it's all a gray area of a certain few classes of speech which are not free in the united states the the famous example is you don't have the freedom to um yell fire in a crowded theater you know you you are not allowed you can be prosecuted for speech which causes endangerment of others in a, in the moment that's You know, there are limits in the United States which can be prosecuted and have been prosecuted where freedom of speech is not absolute. Secondarily, in the United States, freedom of speech is not without consequences. Um, You know, the line is a little different in Canada. We actually have laws against hate speech specifically. Um, They're very rarely executed, but we have um, taken Holocaust deniers, white supremacists who a long history of those types of things and the federal government prosecuted them successfully and took away their you know ability to spout that stuff sent Prince sent, um, Zundel, I think was nameless to jail uh, in the United States you're allowed to spew that stuff but when you go to court because you've broken other laws it comes out and everybody goes oh yeah this guy's a flaming racist and you end up having the consequences of freedom of speech. AOC recently was uh, attacked because, you know, she was saying, well, free, yes, you have freedom of speech, but freedom of speech comes with consequences. And the politi- the people of the state that that representative represents should be looking at those and giving him the consequences of the, what he said. And, of course, the right got a fully upset about because that was a freedom of speech thing. But this is kind of the point, though, is the Congress – shall make no law. Trump's executive order is against the First Amendment. Um Trump sending in uh federal troops without insignia into Portland is against the First Amendment.
0: And that's that's so straight out of a freaking banana republic where the you know one political party or person is taking control of, of everything with their private military. It just that was, that was so deeply disturbing. It is so de- deeply disturbing.
1: And I'll be really clear on this. Well, the second amendment nuts. I mean, I, I think it's just a terribly worded amendment and, you know, muskets have become machine guns and they weren't thinking of assault rifles and air 15s. They weren't thinking of something with, with a bump stock that could pump 60 rounds into a crowd in, you know, five seconds. Um, this was not this is where they had a failure of imagination, and you know they you know they had a, a, a all power to the uh, the founding fathers of the united states it 's an amazing document for its time, but they screwed up on that one um, but the second amendment guys um did you notice all the second Amendment guys who were pouring into Portland with their guns to fight government tyranny? Did you see all the press on that? Did you see all these white guys with guns? fronting up to those unnamed federal tyranny police. I kind of missed that. Did you see that?
0: No. no. You
1: know, where were they? This was exactly what they have been claiming their guns are for. Yeah. And they're not there, which kind of exposes what they really are. Yeah. They're cowards and racists more than not. You know, and that's more than not. It's like there's a lot of cowards and racists with lots of guns, and there are a lot of deeply terrified people with lots of guns. And there are some sweethearts. I knew one guy who was, except for his habit of dressing up in armor and whacking, you know, other people dressed in armor with great big chunks of steel, um, had a gun chest full of, you know, a hundred guns. And but he was a he was a sweetheart outside of that, <laughs> um, and he really was a very nice guy.
0: But yeah, this whole idea that you have to have them so that you can fight back the against, you know tyranny if, if the federal government comes, you know, illegally to to take over and that's exactly what happened and they were nowhere. I mean they were there were moms and you know hipsters. Yeah.
1: Moms with history. yellow t shirts, yeah. uh, there were dads with leaf blowers, and there were unarmed veterans linking arms, peacefully preventing and being tear gassed. United States federal agencies were tear gassing vets. That's what the United States has come to right now and the first and second amendment are so integral. And yet the right is seems to be kind of quiet about the first amendment and a little too strong in the second amendment. It's really interesting to see. Uh, I I do want to twist this back to something you said earlier though. We were talking about that middle group of people in the United States who just don't care. Um, so that the independence, the, the, swing voters, but they're not really as swing voterish as you might think. Pew Research has been doing studies, and I've got the chart in front of me here because I publish it regularly because it's fascinating. And since 1994, they've been testing annually the number of people who call themselves Democrats, Republicans, or Independents. Um, but they do something interesting. They say, are you a registered Democratic voter? Yes, no. Are you a registered Republican? Yes, no. Are you independent?" Yes, no. Um, If you're independent, do you mostly vote Democratic? If you're independent, do you mostly vote Republican? Um, Or do you split your vote depending upon uh, issues? So the people who don't lean is the swing voters. There aren't really that many swing voters in the United States. It was 9% of the populace in 1994 and it's 7% of the populace in 2018, according to the last numbers I saw. Um, So the Democratic Registered Democratic voters, 31%. Lean Democratic, which is to say almost always vote Democratic, 17%. So that's 48% of Americans are Democratic or lean Democratic. 7% are no-leaning. Republicans, 26%. Lean Republican, 13%. So that's 39%. So under 40%, of people are committed Republican voters most of the time. And almost 50% of Americans are Democratic voters most of the time. And only 7% are those swing voters. So it's, it's not quite as swingy as you might think. Um, and it really does get down to who gets out the vote and who is energized. Because all those voters who typically, those 48% of voters who are gonna vote Democratic, if they actually came out to vote, Republicans would never win an election.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have the problem of the Electoral College in the U.S. So that example of uh, Hillary Clinton winning by three million votes, but then it was just uh, several dozen thousand, like tens of thousands of votes, might have decided the election um, because they were just, you know, certain certain areas of you know certain areas of certain states. and so you have that that issue of even at 7% that they can be very powerful but also the more importantly as you as you highlight is who gets out the vote um this is the biggest thing that's why voter suppression is such a big deal in this election uh also why you know strange third party candidates um are are an issue um at, at times but uh one thing Uh, You know, I think going back a bit to your earlier points at the beginning, I mean, there's a very strong involved Republican, you know, uh, portion of the Republican Party that is very heavily against Trump. Uh, They were noticeable in the 2016 election, but they weren't that effective or that like um, influential this time around. I mean, I I have. You know, I I would historically probably not align with the people behind Project Lincoln on much at all, uh, but now they're like well, perhaps my favorite political <laughs> account to follow because they're just so much better at politics. You know, they're just so good at at high, at at showing trump for what he is and and sort of highlighting uh the big core failures and um, problems that he that he brings to the table and uh, they're just extremely good at it and and they see and also i mean i guess maybe because they don't get distracted with some of the things that those on the left are, are focused on they focus solely on what is most horrendous and and um uh problematic about trump because uh that that's you know that's basically why they're not with him uh one one of these guys i don't know if he's at project project but steve schmidt got approached apparently three times by the trump campaign trying to make him their campaign chair in 2016 and he was like no way in hell i'm not touching you i'm not never gonna associate with you this is you know but But he didn't they didn't really do a great job of it, of, you know, politically attacking. Um, And this time around, they're 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 very focused on it, doing a very good job of it. And I don't know how much that translates to normal voters like these are very politically involved people. Theoretically, they would be, you know, controlling the narrative for a lot of Republican voters. Uh, But that's not really how politics works. We're very tribal. But uh, but they must be reaching, you know, they have networks, they they. They come from that background. They must be reaching a decent portion of Republicans who really, um, you know, even if they were in that 39%, historically, it seems like have flipped or will flip on, on, on this election. So, I mean, the question is how much of an impact they, they have as well, I, I think, and, and how much, you know, they could impact a state like Texas or, or Florida or something.
1: Well, so the Lincoln Project is doing something really interesting, it's buying ads in Washington on Fox news. Um, Why is that interesting? Well, Washington DC, that's Washington DC, not Washington, the state. Um, Washington DC is overwhelmingly liberal voting. You just don't waste ad spend in the Washington market because it's going to go blue. And it has, it's not a swing state. It's not a swing district, nothing. It's just, it's a blue, it's blue. Um, But who? In Washington, watches Fox News.
0: I actually didn't know this, but I know where you're going with it. It's hilarious. That's right.
1: Yeah. They buy ads. They spent four hundred thousand dollars to buy an ads on Fox News in time slots on programs that Donald Trump watches. They are trolling Donald Trump. They are explicit about this. They've been interviewed on this, and they said, "Yeah, it's, it's we're doing this intentionally. Um, if he's ranting and raving about us on Twitter. He's not doing anything useful to um, combat you know, the Democratic Party or stuff. Um, if the only thing we do is distract him, then we have won.
0: And there have to be enough even you know, moderate supporters of Trump who look at him and they're like, yeah, maybe this has gone a little too far. Maybe four years is enough. Maybe, you know, this is getting really wild. <laughs> like. Oh.
1: You mentioned the Lincoln Project. Um, you know, I recommend everybody go to YouTube, go to the Lincoln Project, look it up. But I also recommend you go to RVAT, Republican Voters Against Trump, on YouTube. This is much more grassroots than the Lincoln Project. What they want is people, real people, um, and you know, people who voted for Trump or people who are lifelong Republicans who are against Trump and most likely going to vote for biden this time in most cases explicitly people who and so you get two to three minute clips of of real republicans lifelong republicans christians um you know salt of the earth people saying um you know i i voted for trump in 2016 and i it was a mistake i felt sick to my stomach when i walked out I, i realized it was a mistake and now four years later i just can't do it i i Uh, as a Republican and a conservative, I'm voting for Joe Biden. And so they have segment, you know, just little clips, two to three minutes, well worth watching. Fascinating, fascinating watching. Um, I do want to talk about the Electoral College a bit because it's really interesting what I've discovered over the past year. There's a strong tie-in to Black Lives Matter, um, which is that the Electoral College was established specifically to favor slave-owning states over non-slave-owning owning states. And they did this in a very explicit way. Um, there's something called the Three-Fifths Compromise, where basically the slave-owning states didn't have a lot of voters, but they had a lot of slaves. The slaves obviously weren't allowed to vote, but they wanted to have political power. So what they did is they agreed to the Three-Fifths Compromise, where every black slave counted as three-fifths of a person for the purposes of the electoral college votes. The roots of, you know, uh, the electoral college and the way it was structured were explicitly to give slave-owning states who did not give their vote to black people or at the time women um, a substantially inflated pool of voters so they would have political power in Washington. Now we fast forward and it's means that rural states get kind of a, a bit more, still a bit more, um, you know, than they should have. But where I want to go from the, you know, that, that, you know, obviously, wow, Black Lives Matter, three-fifths compromise connection, um, you know, one of the many things. I, I do want to pivot slightly on another topic, which is gerrymandering and voter suppression. You know, so the Republican Party has traditionally had a significant advantage in white voters gee wonder why you know democratic party gets 87 to 91 percent of black voters um, because the democratic party since the 1960s has actually been doing substantial stuff for them and is not the party of white supremacy um Republican party opposite way they've typically had a substantial, substantial lead 10 to 15 point lead over the democratic party um, but Pew again did some, I think it was Pew, did a a bunch of studies, um, a bunch of polling recently. The New York Times reported on it a couple of weeks ago. What they said was, Trump has lost white voters. The Republicans only have a three to four point advantage in white voters over the Democratic Party, which is really interesting because gerrymandering, all, all of gerrymandering is set up to mostly, you know, make, you know, vast majority white, vast majority colored weird districts based on the premise that the white districts are going to vote Republican. Trump losing the white vote means that a lot of the gerrymandering strategy that the Republicans have been engaged in for the past few decades, you know, with, in many cases, democratic compliance, um, you know, a democratic party is not, you know, pure as the driven snow by any standards in this regard. But the gerrymandering is leading to a situation where, wow, those safe districts aren't safe districts anymore.
0: And in particular, the, the issue is suburban areas, right?
1: Well, certainly, um, 2016 saw, um, suburban women, uh, vote for Trump and against Clinton in remarkable numbers. Um, remarkable to me because their reasons, as far as I can tell, for voting against Clinton were poor and emotional. She didn't dump Bill, and so they voted against her and for Trump. That's as far as I can tell what it gets down to. And it's a, people don't vote for rational reasons is a fundamental thing. Um, but this time around, it's Biden, who's a family guy, who lost his son who loves his kids and his grandkids, you know, who
0: cries about his kids.
1: And then there's Trump. And so he lost suburban women.
0: Number one Twitter troll (laughs) (laughs) who brags about being an asshole, basically. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I I couldn't believe they voted for him in 2016, but you can at least parse reasons. This time around, though, polling says Trump has lost women. Um. The women that he had, he's lost most of them. He's still, you know, the only category he's leading in is uh, poorly educated white men. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: So interesting. We've got all these structural things changing. And, you know, we've got stuff going on. We've got Black Lives Matter. We've got um, COVID 19. And in this environment, we have conventions coming up. We have the. DNC convention on August 17th, 10 days from now, which means sometime in the next week and a half, Biden is finally going to announce his VP pick.
0: Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix.
1: If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund a Clean Tech Talk.